Welcome. Good to have everyone here tonight. For those of you who do not know me, I'm Tom Reynolds, and I'm glad to gather together tonight to celebrate the graduation, one-year graduation of Blake Pepper. So congratulations, Blake. It's it's kind of it's kind of I think of it, it's kind of weird that he's graduating in some ways because he's already working with us for a while now and so it's kind of like almost kind of a little like seems backwards but um, I'm glad he's been a great asset to the family here and to this work here and he's had a great heart and so I'm really excited about tonight you know it strikes me as I was thinking about this event though and thinking about what makes this unique and special one of the things I got thinking about is you know our connection with most of these guys, um, doesn't start with them calling us. It starts with a phone call. It starts with an inquiry. It starts with somebody that loves them. It's mom, it's dad, it's a friend, it's a spouse, it's somebody, it's, um, it's coworkers, somebody who says, I know somebody who needs help. And you see, long before most of the guys kind of really discover and grasp the fact that their lives have gotten where they are, there's a lot of people who love them that already know that. And, uh, and they're the ones sometimes suffering the most. I know a lot of times in addiction, um, somebody will say, well, I'm only really hurting myself. However, that's never the case. Um, and in fact, a lot of times family and friends have been suffering long before the one in bondage to a substance discovers that they're suffering. And, um, and so I really, you know, it just strikes me that those who are closest are suffering with fears, with trust issues, with tension, with unpredictability, with consequences, with financial struggles, with relational struggles, with legal struggles, all these fears and, and humiliations and doubts and all these things that are tormenting um, the families long before these guys um, join his way. You know, one of the things we've said about this ministry is that it's a seed sowing ministry, that our job, our goal is to sow the seed in the gospel in every guy's life. Um, and I, I believe that out of 14 years we've been here, I'm grateful that we've had the opportunity to do that. We've seen a lot of changed lives. Um, but I know every day when, when I go home, when we wrap up a week, when we reflect over a month, when I meet with the board and we talk about the last quarter, I know with confidence that the guys who have come here have had the opportunity to hear the gospel, see the gospel, experience the gospel, which ultimately is the only thing that will change any of our lives. Um, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, 
in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. You know, Jesus is telling us that as the message goes out, it's going to be responded to differently. It's nothing about the message, it's just different people are different. They're going to respond differently. Their circumstances are different, their hearts are different, their attitudes are different. Some are going to really get it, some aren't going to get it all, some are going to get it for a little bit and then drop out. That's just the nature of people. Um, the thing that we are called to do is continue to sow the seed. You know, it's the scriptures say in Corinthians, Paul sowed Apollos water, but God gives the increase. And our confidence is that that seed sown is going to ultimately bear God's fruit. And I'm confident of that. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And, and one of the things that Jesus goes on and tells the follow-up parable in is he says later, he said, tells him this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You know, that's an interesting parable as well, right? That the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, this message of the kingdom is as a sown seed, a mustard seed, an insignificant seed, almost a, an overlooked incidental seed. And yet the promise is sown, it's going to bear a fruit that becomes a tree, that becomes shade, that becomes a place that nests birds and, and accomplishes great things. And so while we would have a tendency to dismiss it, while we'd have a tendency to throw it away, while we have a tendency to overlook it, God says, no, the kingdom, the message of that kingdom is the ultimate thing that's going to stand the test of time. Um, and that we believe that when that seed is sown, that that tree will become a place of influence, it will become a shelter, it will become a, a security for a lot of others in the future. In fact, Jesus will say in Matthew 5, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about that you are the salt of the earth. And then goes on and says, you are the light of the world, right? And what he's talking about there is, you know, the salt of the earth. Salt was a, at that time a preservative. It preserved the, the eroding and corroding and corruption of things. And that we who are kingdom people will be in this world a source of moral um, a moral compass, a moral um, cons uh, preservative in the world to keep the world more toward what God would have it to be. And that we're light, that we're going to illuminate, that we're going to reveal, that we're going to make aware the truth, God's truth and the truth of our lives. And so we are called to be people of influence. And I as I thought about these scriptures, what occurred to me is how much our graduate tonight reflects that. Definitely the seed of the gospel captured a man's heart and it was good soil. And it's been bearing fruit for some time. And not only is that fruit born in his life, but I see it bearing fruit in a lot of other people's lives. As he grows to become the man of God that God intends him to be, the effect that that's having on those around him, longtime friends, brothers here in this program, family, are, is immense. And God takes a seed that's planted and not only bears fruit in his life, but he becomes the seed that bears fruit in a lot of other people's lives as well. And so tonight what I want to do is spend some time celebrating God's transforming process. That's not just about Blake, that's about those who love him the most. 
And so uh, I've asked um, his family to come and share with us. We're going to start with um, Blake's mom, Christy, coming and sharing, maybe giving us a better appreciation for the transformation that they've experienced because of the gospel in Blake's life. Good evening. Words just can't express my happiness tonight as we celebrate Blake's sobriety and graduation from phase two at His Way. I want to thank the staff at His Way for loving Blake the way we do, supporting him and being there for him. We celebrate the man he has become through the grace of God and his new life. When you look at him today, you're looking at one of God's miracles. It's been a very long and extremely difficult journey for Blake and everyone who loves him. Like most parents, the dreams we had for our children were typical. To be happy, healthy, to love and to be loved. To have an extensive education, fulfilling, rewarding careers that would meet their needs and to have joy, peace and tranquility. As a child, Blake was big hearted, spirited or hard headed. But he was a fun-loving boy with an exceptional love for others and for creat all creatures and nature. He had goals in place for a future, including college and at one time becoming an animal doctor. I felt confident he would have a happy life and attain his goals, the ones he had set. But instead, the paths that both Blake and his sister chose took a wrong turn a dark detour full of drugs, and the disaster that follows. Watching my child spin out of control and the destruction that followed has been the most devastating trauma I have ever endured, and I have not had an easy life before that. Like any other lethal disease, addiction takes control of the addict and his family. It robs the joy and peace and replaces them with blame, and guilt, blame as a parent, what did I do to cause my child to want to obliviate his mind and destroy his body and any chance for a future, and guilt for allowing it and enabling. It creates fear, fear of losing your child, knowing the lives it has taken from some of his friends, friends that you knew and loved, Losing him to do overdose, possibly being murdered during a drug deal, life in prison, and enduring a life of pain and illness, misery unending. And eventually grieving, grieving for the loss of your child, even though he still breathes and lost hope. I enabled, I made excuses. At times I looked the other way. By the time I realized and faced the facts, the addiction had complete control of all of us. I eventually turned my back on God that he would allow this to happen. As the years passed, it continued, and I did not want to live anymore, not like this. I couldn't bear to watch Blake and his sister slowly kill themselves for the sake of getting high. I had no joy, no peace, and even breathing became a chore. 
I felt hopeless and angry. Something had to change. I tried to remember a lifetime ago just how I got through hard times in my life. And then I remembered the power of prayer. I began praying again. I apologized to God, asked for forgiveness, was reborn again. And I began, I began to live again. I even made a deal with God, if you can. Instead of trying to control a situation that was never mine to control, I put it back in his hands, God's hands. I began thanking him for even the smallest good I saw. A few months after this, it happened. Blake, who was hurting and also tired of living and causing pain to himself, had made a plan to end it all. But God said, oh no, Blake, I'm not finished with you yet. I've got plans for you. A few days later when Blake woke up in the hospital, he gave his life back to God and accepted Jesus in his heart. Not only has he been sober for three years now, but he is a messenger. He's a messenger of God's word, of humanity, an inspiration of hope and peace, and he's a positive influence for us all. I'm proud of you, Blake, and I love you. Thank you. Um, I'm a better writer than I am speaker, so I'm, I'm pretty much just gonna read this, but here we go. Said, good evening. They said, I, yeah, my point, you know, made right there. They say that God is good all the time. They also say that when he shows up, he will show out. Let me start off by saying thank you all for coming to celebrate with me. Thank you, Mom, Dad, Tamara, for coming and sharing and for never giving up on me. To all my family, friends, residents, I love you all more than you know. To all the staff, Tom, for your passion and teaching, Daryl, for all the encouragement and love, for the job here at His Way, and the faith in me to carry it out. Doug Stogner, you helped me out a lot. Mike Ross, for always believing in me. Jim Norville, your kindness and devotion to God. To Ronnie, Jacob, TJ, Stuart, Greta, and everyone else. I thank you and I love you guys. And when I think about how blessed and loved I am, I'm taken back. Because I know it's beyond me, beyond what I deserve. And that the credit can go to no one else but God. After all, who am I to be loved by all of you? Before I found God, I was not always the best person. In fact, that is a huge understatement. I have been a bad son, a bad father, a bad friend, a bad brother, bad boyfriend. I've been a lot of things in my former addiction, my former self, in my selfish pride. 
I've heard a lot of people in my addiction, and I think most of you would agree that we are completely oblivious to the fact that we are hurting anyone other than ourselves. Blind to the fact that our self-satisfaction is at the expense of our loved ones who want nothing but the best for us and endure the pain out of love. Which brings me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. It says, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable. It does not keep record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now this is a perfect kind of love, a peek into the heart of the Father. But if we are honest in a fallen world, every one of us knows that we fall short of this and are only partial to it at best. But God, who loves perfect and is love in himself, and Jesus, who has the heart of the Father, comes into our heart with the help of the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. Are we able to learn how to love with a love like his? Then we will understand and see some clearly our purpose on earth, which is to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and in my case, starting with ourselves. And these are the two greatest commands. It is this holy and perfect love that found me at the deepest and darkest point of my life and rescued me from myself, who opened my eyes to the nothing I had become and restored me back to sanity, back to my family, back to the person God intended me to be all along, who broke the bondage of my addiction and set me free, making me something to be proud of. And for all of these reasons, I know he is real and have everlasting faith in his power and love. And it is his love for us and the fact he is still in the business of miracles and saving lives that we should be celebrating tonight. For without his love, it would all mean nothing. And even though I am graduating tonight, my journey is far from over. Just one chapter and the beginning of another. But I trust God fully to continue the work he has already begun. I intend to repay my family, loved ones, and especially God for all the love they've showered on me. I intend to be a good son, a father, a brother, and friend as I shape my life to God's love. I also intend on staying and working here and with God's help, be a light and example to God's grace to those struggling with addiction, to help, serve, and love those who are suffering because I believe it is God's will for me and my purpose for the time being. And I'm going to do it out of love and my love for God. After all, without love, it all means nothing.
We also uh, have tonight um, Blake's dad, um, Joe, and his wife, Tamara, are going to share with us a little more of the story. So uh, if you want to come on up. When Tom asked me to do this, I went, sure, I'll do that. And then I started thinking, you know, okay, what am I going to say? And um, should I say that? Oh, I don't know if I should say that or not. Should I say this? I don't know. And so finally I decided to just be gut-level honest about the emotions that I went through. And I just want Blake to know that during all these emotions, there was still love and there was still prayer. Okay, so don't... <laughs> Um, when we first, you know, well, let me start back with, um, I met Blake when he was about 10 years old. I started dating his dad when he was around 10, and uh, he was, you know, all boy. He, he loved to go to the creek and catch snakes, which terrified me, but, you know, <laughs> but um, we never really had a close relationship then. Um, it was more of a be polite to each other. Um, you know, he obviously already has a mother and um, I wasn't in any way gonna try to take her place. And so, um, you know, we, we just didn't really develop that close relationship. But, you know, I still cared for him very much. and. When we first found drugs in his room, it was shock, total shock. I've, I've never dealt with that before. I mean, it was like somebody took a bucket of ice water and, and threw it in my face. I, I just, you know, I didn't know how to respond. I, I was, um, so that was my first emotion. My Next emotion was guilt. How, how could I let this happen? Um, you know, it was just, I, I'm a teacher. I took college courses in child development. Why didn't I see this? I should have taken him to a counselor. I should have worked harder to have a relationship with him. I should have done more things with him. I should have, you know, the list goes on and on. There's guilt that you didn't do everything that should have been done. There's also shame. Oh no, what if people find out? What if, you know, I'm a fifth grade teacher. I have police officers come in my room every week and teach fifth graders not to do drugs. It was the D.A.R.E. program and, you know, here I am, you know, they're teaching them say, just say no and, I've got someone doing drugs that lives in my house. So that was hard. There was also the, okay, I'm on a first name basis with the sheriff. He goes to our church. I, I know him, I talk to him, you know, he's got to know. And there's, there's, you know, okay, I have got to talk to somebody, but I don't want my friends to know, you know, what, what, How's 
that going to work? You know, finally you get to the point of just, you know, making a joke about it. You know, they fuss about what their teenager's doing that week, and you go, oh, yeah? Well, let me make you feel better. You know, it's just, you know, let me <laughs> share some stories with you, and your teenager will look like a saint, you know. Um, so, you know, it was just, you, you start laughing it off. But it, it still hurts inside. There would be hope. You know, okay, he's doing better. I think maybe this time, you know, may, maybe he can actually stop doing drugs. You know, there, there's actually some hope. And then there's letdown. No, he, he's back on drugs. He's arrested again. He's, you know, and so it's a, a constant cycle of, you know, Joe and I used to laugh that we were on a roller coaster, you know, because they'd be good. Oh, good, he's done better. And down the roller coaster we'd go. So there was the hope and letdown. As Blake's mom said, there's depression. There's, I'm just going to stay in. I'm not going to go out anywhere. I don't, I don't know who all knows. I, I don't want to see people, you know, because they may know, and, and I just don't want to deal with it. There's also a little bit of resentment. You know, why, why did you have to do this? You know, um, we're having to deal with this, you know, so you can go get high. You know, th there is that little bit of resentment. And you want me to, you know, you want us to bail you out again? And the financial aspect of it, you know, and the... Um, Sometimes there's a little bit of, I don't know, you know, disagreement on whether you bail somebody out or not. I don't think we fully understood enabling. I'm sorry, my mouth's dry <laughs> when I get nervous. Um, you don't really always know what's enabling and what's not. And so sometimes that's a problem. Fear. Fear's a big one. You know, I watch the news. I see where people get murdered in drug deals. I see where they find somebody's body, you know, in a parking lot somewhere. And there's always that fear that something's going to happen. But there's also fear of Okay, he's on a mind-altering drug is, you know, I also see on the news where drug addicts sometimes hurt their family members because, you know, they, they need money for drugs and if you don't give it to them. And I know, you know, he was da his dad would always say, oh, he wouldn't do that. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, that guy on TV did. You know, <laughs> you just don't, you don't know. Um, Anger, you know, that kind of goes with the resentment earlier, but there's, there's some anger that, you know, your life didn't turn out quite the way you wanted it to because you're dealing with, you know, a drug addict. And it's just, you know, that's just honest. Um, and then there's disbelief. When his Grammy 
told me that he was leading a prayer group in the Madison County Jail. I said, he's doing what? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Albert Blake leading a prayer group. No, 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 you got that wrong. He, no. Mm -mm. <laughs> and then there was, you know, the, well, he's just doing it, you know, so we'll think he's doing better. You know, is he really doing better? Um, but then I read his notes that he had made for that, those prayer groups. And without a shadow of a doubt, I knew he's changed. He's not the same person. It, this is not the same Blake. He has actually, truly found God. And it, I just can't tell you that emotion, you know, that, that he's going to be okay. He's made it. He's, he's going to be okay. That, like, no matter what happens now, he's, he's in God's hands. He's, you know... Um, he, he knows the only one that matters. The elation, the joy, the peace, it is unbelievable. And he, he hasn't gone back. It, I mean, I fully believe he will never, ever go back. Just by being around him and just seeing the change in him. So... I just, I, I want to thank God for all that he's done in Blake's life, because we sure do love him. <laughs> you know, I was really impressed by Christy's um, message that she gave, as well as Blake's. I mean, he did a great job, I think. I'm going to speak to the guys here, okay? I'm Blake's dad, Joe by the way, okay? <clears throat> I, uh, for those of you who are not yet fathers, all right, your lives a little bit carefree and you're probably thinking about what's gonna happen this week and this weekend's coming, you ah, right? We're gonna live it up. Well, most of us live that way when we're young. But once you become a father, Everything changes. That little bitty baby is yours, and my life didn't matter. This life matters. I can't explain the emotions, you know, when my daughter was born. I know Christy will remember when my daughter was born and how, you know, I was scared to death, guys. Scared to death. I, I was too young to be, you know, a dad, but here it was up, and here comes the next one. And uh, <clears throat> all I know is that you see the promise in your children. You see the hopes and the things that can happen, and as, as they start to grow from infant to, to toddler to, to child, you, you're involved with them from Boy Scouts. You probably would believe that Blake was a Boy Scout. <laughs> That's right, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Blake played baseball. In several years, he played baseball. I made him. Uh, because there were some things that happened. Maybe you've talked to Blake. Maybe you haven't. Uh, some bad things that happened with Blake when he was young. 
all right, um, that he had overcome. And <clears throat> it's interesting, his perspective in looking at that now. We've talked about that and some things I would have never grasped until recently. Um, but Blake had to overcome those things, and I didn't want him to be idle because, you know, we need to – he was very shy. Um, introvert beyond belief. Just would not have a whole lot to do with a whole lot of people. His sister pretty much spoke for him, okay? To the point where, you know, they got a little bit older and I wanted them to start getting out of his shell. So organized sports seemed to be something I thought might be a good tool, right? Well, I used all the tools except for the one tool I probably should have used. Almighty God. Church. I have a family out there of people who could have helped me help him because it was just overwhelming to me. But I didn't know then, okay? And then when Blake started spiraling out of control, you know, in the young teenage years, the low T was never a problem for Blake, okay? He's got enough test, test room for all of us at that time. And, uh, you know, I was about to kill him. I don't know how to explain it. I just, we just round and round. It's like, I can't believe it. He has lost his mind. Uh, <clears throat> tough. Really, really, really tough. And like she said, you know, um, the sheriff was, was one of my Sunday school teachers at the time, you know, and I started finding things. And I'm like, we... <laughs> We, we found things, but uh, it got to the point where, you know, he, he ended up going to live with his mother. And he lived there. And, you know, me and Blake, through the teenage years, we really struggled with the relationship because we're on different wavelengths. And it's not working at all. And then, you know, he's working. Um, and I think he was doing carpeting. And uh, he blew his knee out, right? You know, he kickers and stuff they do with the carpeting, right? Uh, the next thing I know, he's got a problem with his knee, and he's got a problem with pain. And guess what he's doing? Probably a lot of things that you guys have done too, or you know somebody has. He's taking something for it. Well, that went downhill fast. Uh, you know, Blake, when he was younger, I would have said, okay, he liked his beer. Uh, <laughs> I would have never dreamed that he would start using drugs. Never. Even through all the challenges we had, that just wasn't him. Oh, yeah, it went from there, and it got worse, and it got worse, and then he was arrested for possession of, you know, controlled substance, and then violation of probation and this that and it just rolls and rolls and rolls and keeps happening and roller coaster like Timmer said just it's like it's not going to end his life is over what are we doing here all this stuff is going on and then things you find out it's like and I still don't know everything from what he tells me uh, which is probably a good thing um, <clears throat> but my heart was was yanked out this child of mine, this infant that I saw coming into life, is destroying himself. 
And it's interesting. I had conversations with people before where, you know, I've told them there are worse things than death. There are worse things than death. To lose a child before you die. How you deal with that, I, I just, you know, I pray for people. I know a lot of friends who have had that happen, and they struggle. And, and it's only God that gives them strength and peace to cover through it. You know, especially if a child's saved, and that helps. But they still struggle. Or when you see somebody who uses a loved one destroy themselves. It's death by a thousand cuts. Just cut me again, cut me again, cut me again. To the point where there's no more tears. You can't cry anymore. You don't know where life is going to go or what's happening with him. And you can't get across to him to, you know, hey, please, please. I mean, you can scream and beg. I could be hurt. Blake was hard-headed um, and tough. And he went through a lot of things because of it. This last time that, you know, he was arrested was something I just couldn't bear. I just I turned my back on him. I was just done. I can't do this anymore. I can't. My heart's, there's just nothing left. I'm just, I can't do it. Tara will tell you that, you know, she started receiving letters when she was talking about him leading the class in prison. And I went, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He's trying to, you know, write home and talk to me or tell me the things that, you know, and I'm like, you know, maybe it's his sister, maybe it's other people, I don't know, but sometimes people will start telling you what you want to hear rather than being straight. I didn't know if I could trust him. I didn't know if I believed him. I didn't want to hear it. For about six months, I didn't read letters. I didn't do anything. I'm done. Done. Blake's going to go that way. I'm going that way. And then Tamara got me to read a letter. And it wasn't just a little top-level discussion of God. Blake's discussion of God was very detailed. More so than just a person who just briefly talks about it or acknowledges God. I mean, guys, you know, acknowledge God, but they really don't read and study God. Blake was doing that. There was a change going on. Maybe this time. Maybe this time. So when I started talking to Blake again, you know, the phone and thing, it began to dawn on me, God was moving finally. The seed had been sown, and he was watering it. And that's, it was growing. And it's powerful, it's hard to explain to watch a person destroy themselves, but a miracle happen where they come through it and they're alive. And that's my son. I don't know how to tell you how proud I am of the man he is today. From who he was to who he is, and it was God who did it. And for those of you who don't know it can happen, I'm telling you, it can happen to you too. You can trust it. You can believe it. 
Don't ask me why. It just is. It just is. And I pray that for those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, you give him a chance. You trust him. And I pray for your salvation that you come to it of yourself with the Lord. Through that, all of this is good. And uh, like I said, Blake, I love you. And I'm very, very proud of you. I listen to these amazing stories, and the scripture that's so poignant to me is the very last promise in the Old Testament. The very last thing that the Old Testament closes on, as the prophet Malachi writes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's what it's about.